Welcome to Vox Vomitus, also known as Word Vomit. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Vox Vomitus. I am your host, Jennifer Ann Gordon, author of the award-winning novel Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent, as well as the Hotel series, which includes From Daylight to Madness and When the Sleeping Dead Still Talk. I am joined today, as always, by my two Vox Vomitus vixens, Allison Martine, author of the Bourbon Book. Say hello, Allison. Hello, good morning, good afternoon, and good night. <laughs> and Trisha Ridinger McKee, author of the Beyond series as well as the Josie series. Trisha just had a bur- book birthday last week with uh, th- uh, Through the Motions. I- I've designed yes. all of your covers, which is why I'm like, which one am I looking at in my head? Through the Motions, the first of the Josie books. Uh, We are joined today by one of my all-time favorite authors, a fellow New Englander, a fellow Jennifer, a fellow author of all things creepy and dark and drowned girls and ghosts and architecture horror. I love it. Jennifer McMahon. Celebrating her new book, The Drowning Kind. Jennifer Thank you for coming to our show. Tell our audience a little bit about yourself while I sip bourbon casually. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much for having me. This is going to be so much fun. I can tell. Um, a little bit about me. So I live in Montpelier, Vermont. I write creepy suspense novels, often with a supernatural element or two in there. Um, my latest book is The Drowning Kind. And oh, there it is! Beautiful cover. The, oh, the folks, at, the folks at Scout Press just knocked it out of the park, didn't they? I mean, it's just it's gorgeous. We're going to talk about this cover. Okay, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad. Um, so yeah, so it's my tenth book. I can tell you a little bit about it. Tell people a little bit about it. it yeah. Um, yeah. So it is a. It begins in the with a present day storyline with a woman named Jackie, who is a social worker, and she gets a call that her sister has drowned in the pool of the old family home back in Vermont. And she's living out in Washington State. And so she goes back to Vermont, and she really hasn't spoken with her sister that much in the past year. They're estranged. They've had a difficult relationship. Her sister struggles with mental illness. And her sister inherited her grandmother's house and basically everything that her grandmother had, her sister inherited. And Jackie knows it's petty and knows she shouldn't feel, you know, resentful, but she does. Um, So that's put a definite strain on their relationship. And now her sister is dead. Her sister's drowned in the pool. So she goes back to the house and she's trying, she's grief stricken and she's trying to put the pieces together and trying to make sense of this tragedy, you know, trying to like find answers where there might not be any. And she starts going through her sister's stuff and discovering, and the house is a chaotic mess. And she starts going through things and going through her sister's notes and journals and, and the mess in the house. And she realizes that in the last days and weeks of her sister's life, her sister was looking into the history of their family, but not just the history of their family, but the history of the house and the land, and most especially the old spring-fed pool out in the back. Um, and the pool is long rumored to heal the sick and revitalize people. And also some people say grand wishes. And so we've got the present day storyline, but then woven in to to the present day storyline, we have a storyline that starts in 1929 where we meet Ethel and Ethel is recently married. She's 37 years old. She got married a little later in life for those times. Um, 
And she's happy, you know, she has a good life. She loves her husband. Her husband's a doctor. Things are going well. But the thing she wants most on earth is a child. And she knows that it would make her husband so happy and it would make her so happy and their life would just be complete if she could just have a baby and they've been trying and it's not working and she feels like something's wrong with her, but she doesn't really want to talk to her husband about it and say the words out loud to him. And he can tell she's stressed out and he says, you know, he... He comes up with this idea to whisk her away for a romantic weekend getaway at a newly constructed hotel across the border. They live in, in um, New Hampshire. And he says, across the border. And uh, yes, shout out to New Hampshire. Um, <laughs> um, so across the border in New York, this amazing, beautiful hotel and resort has just opened the Brandenburg Springs Hotel and Resort. And so they go away for the weekend and the showcase of the hotel, the hotel's gorgeous and, and Ethel thinks it's like something out of a storybook. There's peacocks roaming the ground. There's beautiful rose gardens. The building is just beautiful. Everything is just top notch and she's absolutely swept away. But the sort of showpiece of the hotel are the springs. And there's an old spring fed pool in the back of the hotel and it's supposed to be very restorative and it's supposed to heal the sick. And then she, while she's there, she learns about, you know, the rumors that maybe the pool can grant wishes. And what is it that Ethel wishes for most? A child. So she thinks about it and she thinks, oh, it's, it's foolish to go and ask a body of water for something. <laughs> Who am I? You know, but sooner or later she does. She walks out there and she finds herself at the edge of the pool making her wish. And I don't want to say too much about don't what happens say. next. I'm not going to say anything, but I will say that both she and Jackie in the present day do realize that you have to be careful what you wish for. That's sort of the overall message of the book. And so the book goes back and forth between those two storylines and the pool kind of holds everything together. This creepy pool. I love the creepy <laughs> pool. I love the black water. I love that you talk about like the, the granite walls that have like moss growing out of them all of it. Um, Jennifer, I've read all of your books. I've fangirled and I will continue fangirling. I've read all of your books. I think this one is legitimately my favorite. Oh, that makes me so happy. It has, it has everything I look for in a book. New England. (laughs) Okay. Drowned girls. Honestly. (laughs) You look for drowned girls in a book? I do. I do. I write about drowned girls. I look for drowned girls. All right. Um, um, I love the idea of, is it a haunting or is it mental illness? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, um, yeah. That's always, uh, great old houses, you know, yeah. all of it. And then you added a cat even. <laughs> and I was like, the book can't be even more perfect than it is. Oh, now there's a cat. Now there's a cat, a cat named pig. I yeah, know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I, all I could think was, I really want to get another animal and name it pig because <laughs> it's a great name. So um, we'll go into some more of like the themes of the book and everything. But I do want to mention this cover because I personally have never seen a cover that is like iridescent. Yeah, it's beautiful. The the hardcover is even even more stunning. Yeah, it's it's gorgeous. When I got this in the mail, I just like literally brought it to the light and was just like shimmering it. Yeah, I was when I got underwater. Yeah, when I got my box of books, I just kept like playing with it in the different light and made it shimmer. Yeah, absolutely. You guys, like book talk, I know like the TikTok for books now is a thing, and just make the book dance in the light. That's all you got to do. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, book talk. All right. 
and you I don't understand how to figure out TikTok. And <laughs> yeah, you're is. right though. Like when you're moving it, it like makes it, it gives that like water illusion. It's, it it's really totally does. Yeah. And with the soft cover, because I've done it, because I'm a kind of a nerd, I did do it in the light. I did like kind of a wave thing with it. And just, <laughs> I love it. And, and was like, what what do I ask for to get a cover like this? Like, what is this even? Pearlized? I, mean, I, I know. It's iridescent. It's pearlized. It's shiny. Yeah. It's magic. It's magic. It's what it is. It's you magic. It's a magical book yeah. cover. I think um, I do. Yeah. And I, you know, it's so you go into like, I, I remember discussing what the cover was going to be like with my editor and, you know, we're brainstorming and coming up with ideas and well, obviously we want to get the pool in there or some aspect of the pool and the water. And, and she was like, we should get the roses in there. I said, yeah, the roses would be great, but how are we going to do the pool and the roses? Maybe. I don't. So we're throwing all these ideas out there and somehow the art team just magically got everything in there and made wow. it work. And it's, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. I it, love it. It captures it. Well, I love that it's an effect that catches your eye, but there's a reason for it. It's not just a silly gimmick. Right. It ties into yeah. the food. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it works so well for the story. Because sometimes, you know, you have a cover that, or pick up a book with a cover, and after you finish the book, you're like, that didn't really have, it was a great book, but what did it have to do with the cover? I don't know. But this one, no, it works. It works perfectly. Love it. I yes. feel very lucky. Yeah. You, you should be lucky if I, you know, you should be like every photo, just be like, oh, and then like, oh, look out. Can you reissue the, the invited with scratch and sniff that it smells like burn things? Cause that would be awesome. Like scratch off some soot and you're like, burning. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yay. Person, person scratch burning. Scratch and slash. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I feel I like that. you yes. could get that same effect. The scratch and sniff burning smell for burn town as well so maybe oh, yeah. they'd be yeah. fine with like once doing, you like, figure it out scratch and sniff. okay yeah your scratch and sniff series yeah this could be like the new wave of the future of book covers i like it i like <laughs> or it. even like a scratch and sniff book plate that you could put inside <laughs> like so the scratch and sniff for the drowning kind would smell like you know, they talk about like the stale metallic water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, capture that somehow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you want to yeah. Have, do people I don't want know. that smell? I, I don't know. Would you? <laughs> of course you would. Of course you would. Though I live in an old house in New England, so legitimately I could probably just like go into my bathroom or into the river in my backyard and be like, <laughs> yeah, yep, that's what it smells like. That's what it smells like, yeah. <laughs> Authentic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, don't yeah. make it smell like the bog either. Like that's yeah. not a smell people are going for. So one of the things I did when I was researching this book is I went to, um, I wanted to taste like real mineral, like real water from real springs. And I was in Saratoga Springs with my daughter buying her ballet shoes. We had, that's where she has to go to get her ballet shoes. Cause there's no, not a place nearby. That's the closest real ballet store, I guess. So we're there and I was like, Oh, we have to go see the springs. So we go and we find springs and, and there's springs like running and I get my little water bottle and I sip it and I'm like, Oh, it tastes like metal. And she tasted it and she said, no mom, it tastes like blood. And I was like, yes, you're right. So that little detail totally went in the book. Yeah. Is that like the whole idea of pennies taste like copper and copper tastes like blood? It's all that same kind yeah. of yeah. Palette? And it does, yeah. And I think, you know, it's that whole things taste different on different parts of your tongue kind of mm. thing. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. I love yeah, yeah. that. So um, how did this idea start in your head? Did you start okay. with the springs or did you start with be careful what you wish for? Oh, I definitely started with the water. I started with the pool, the springs. So when I was a kid, um, I was a little kid. 
I was just talking about this with my brother because he just bought the book. And he's like, oh my God, you wrote about the pool that we went to when we were kids. And I said, yes, I did. So we ju- I just like before getting on this, I was just got off the phone with my brother talking about this. Um, so when we were little kids, my grandmother brought us to visit a family friend who had a house in Maryland. And it was an old stone house. My grandmother's a psychiatrist. And the person who owned the house was also a psychiatrist. And it was an old stone house. And behind it was a beautiful house. Behind the house was this stone-lined swimming pool with black water. Mm-hmm. And the water, you could just feel the cold coming off of it. And it was creepy as hell. And I'm looking at the water and I kind of dip my toe in. I'm like, I'm not going in that water. Uh-uh. And there was a little boy who lived there who started teasing me and calling me a chicken. And I thought, no way am I going to let a little boy call me a chicken. Uh-uh, no. So into the water I go. And it was, it was like shockingly cold. You know, I, I had been swimming in rivers. I'd been swimming in cold, or in cold places. But this was like beyond cold. Oh, and the owner of the pool, the psychiatrist, happened to tell us that it was bottomless. He said, by the way, the pool's bottomless. So I know, I know. So Thanks I'm in the water. Just the, what you tell children. Just what I you tell know. children. Welcome to my big black bottomless pool. I know. The water's black. You it know. has no bottom. It has There's no bottom. Enjoy. Yeah. yeah. So I'm in there and the whole time I was in there, I was freezing, but I also was so sure because I couldn't see. And I was so sure that I could feel things touching my my feet and my legs and kind of reaching up and grabbing for me from yeah. down there. And I'm imagining what it might be. And I'm terrified. And I got out as quickly as I could. But my whole life, like the memory of that pool has just stayed with me. And I've always yeah. wanted to put it in a book and write about it. And I've always wanted to make it its own character, right? And like try to get to know it and like do a character study and say, what's your deal, pool? What secrets are you keeping? So I totally started the drowning kind just with that pool in mind and thinking about it. And I didn't know what the story was going to be. And I started with the pool and started describing the pool and kind of asking the pool questions and trying to figure out what was going on with the pool. And slowly a story started to take shape. And I, I had the two sisters. I had the present day storyline of Lexi and Jackie pretty quickly. Um, and so I started sort of writing my way into that. And then as I was writing about that, I got to the point where they realized they learned that there was a hotel back there way back. And I'm like, Oh, I, I need to add some history in here. And I should show someone going to the old hotel and what the Springs were like back then. So I'm like, okay. And I, so I came up with the character of Ethel and I started writing her story and I described her, her life and her going to the pool, but I had no idea how the two were connected <laughs> because I, I am not a like outliner or plotter. I have no Answer. idea. Panzer, yeah, you're in a panzer. Panzer. Yay, all of us. Club. All right, yay, Panzer team, go team Panzer. I always feel inadequate when like we have authors on who are like, and I did a thirty-page outline, and I'm like, yeah. hmm, no, what is I that? Can't. What is that? Like, yeah, I've tried, and it just it's boring. I, I never did a thirty-page yes. outline. I did do like a thirteen-page outline for a book. My book dismantled because my editor asked for it. And I worked harder on that outline than I would have doing a rough draft. It took me forever and ever. And then once I sat down to write the book, I felt so like boxed in and like bored by the whole thing that I threw the outline on the floor and just kind of did my own thing and winged it. it And Jennifer, next next time you're out, your editor asks for an outline, you can do what I did, which is you write the book and then you do the outline after. Because if they ask for an outline, they don't say it has to happen first. 
<laughs> no, absolutely. And that's the way that I need to work. Yeah. I, yeah. So I need to like get it all out. And, yeah. you know, as I was writing the drama, kind of had no idea how the backstory was connected to Jackie. I didn't know how Ethel's story was going to connect until I got like halfway into it. And I'm like, oh, and there was that moment where I was like, oh my God, I get it. And the whole book started to come together. I'm like, well, and that's why they say the nicer way of calling cancer is we are discovery writers. We discover the story oh, as well. Oh, and you had that when you said that that moment, you're like, oh, I see it, how it connects. You weren't going to get there from an outline because you can't discover anything from bullet points. No, no. I mean, I think that little. Dis- I think in in defense of outliners, I do think that there are other little discoveries that can be made along the way, and things like the plot and the characters will always still surprise you, right? Yeah. Even yes. no matter what kind of a writer you are, your characters are always going to do things that blow They're your mind and are like, "What over. is up with that? Yes. Yes. You did what?" <laughs> Lindsay Stone Rock says, hi. <laughs> hi Lindsay. <laughs> yeah. So um, as somebody who I have a, the three books I have out, two of them are connected. One of them is a standalone, but I, okay. I did a similar thing that you did. Like I started with this idea of a haunted Island, like an Island where if you, island. Like, and it was like haunted, like it didn't have to be people that died there, but if you go there and if you want it bad enough, and okay. need it bad enough, like somebody could appear to you. But oh, again, like it's it. at what cost? But I started with the island, and I did like all this like research on islands and thinking yeah. about the island and why is the island the way it is? And yeah. is it the water? Is it the rocks? And yeah. then, so I love what you just said because the story came out of that. I started with just the location that I became weirdly fascinated with because I, as I said, I like drowned girls. It is, uh-huh. I think it's Ophelia uh-huh. syndrome. It's like <laughs> the lady of Shalott. Lady of Shalott yeah. syndrome. Yeah. So. Well, I have to say, I read where you, um, you said that um, the mantra, you know, the advice we're all given is write what you know. Yep. And you take that and you turn it to, I write what scares me. And I love that because I know early on, I tried, uh, when I started writing horror, I was writing what I thought everyone else was scared of, but it wasn't connecting. And once I took, even though, you know, I'm thinking to myself, no one else is going to be scared of this because I have some pretty quirky fears. (laughs) But when you take it and your own emotions are in it, it, it elevates it, it you know, you're able to connect with it. So I love that. I love that you do that. Was there a point that you, um, you discovered that to write what you fear or did you always kind of just use that? Um, so I have always been drawn to like writing on the creepy side. I wrote my first story when I was in third grade and it was about a haunted meatball. Um, <laughs> and which I feel like, it's like it's comical. It's there's some comedy, but it was also I tried to make it terrifying, and <laughs> as terrifying as a third grader writing about a haunted meatball, you know. So that was my very first attempt at fiction, and I loved it, and I was hooked from that point on. And my and my, I remember bringing it into class, and my teacher, Mrs. Brennan, my third grade teacher, was like, "This is really good," and I was so excited and so happy. And she said, "Write more." Right. And so I brought. Then I went home and I wrote more, and I wrote, brought her a story about a mud monster. And then a couple of days later, I brought her a story about a kid who finds a body behind the wall in their house. Okay, then, see, that's so, a, there's a so, drastic yeah. change from haunted me. There's yeah, no, it got, it got darker. It got darker. <laughs> Oh, I'm just curious, is this before or after Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs? Because I don't know when this was published. And I'm just curious, did you inspire them somehow? Do they owe you royalties for this meatball mystery? Yeah, I don't know when Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs came out. 
but Hello. so yeah, I just, yeah, I have always just been drawn to the creepy side and, you know, I, and I studied poetry in college and then for a year in graduate school and everyone, and you go to writing workshops and everyone says, write what you know, write what you know. But my thing has always been write what scares you. Cause that's where the good stuff yes. comes from. That's where the yes. deep dark stuff comes from. And I, I love it so much. And I say it to myself so much that when I turned 50, I had it tattooed on my wrist. I'll say it. Yeah. Constant reminder. It's like, you know, so that I can be a reminder to be true to myself and to, not be yes. afraid to go to the dark places and to look at the stuff that I'm sometimes scared to look at. And I am a person who, you know, despite writing creepy books, I have so many fears and I'm always afraid and I scare really easily. You guys see, yeah, you're like, yeah, I scare so easily. I scream a lot yeah. of horror movies yeah. and like, I'll be reading the creepy book and I'll need to turn every light on and wake my partner up and be like, well, I just read the creepiest thing. I'm afraid there's something in the closet and I don't know if I should have the closet door open or closed. And, ah. I watch I'm, horror movies like this. Oh, me too. Covering your eyes. It's just like asking Roman the entire time. I'm like, can you just tell me, is it an eyeball part? If it's an eyeball part, I need to leave the room. Is it a tooth part? Are they pulling out fingernails? What's happening? Yeah. And he's like, you write horror. Like, yeah. deal with it. I know. And, no, and I, my daughter won't watch scary movies with me anymore because I scream so much and I like jump and I'm like, ah! you're terrible. Yeah. Do you scream in the movie theater way back? Oh, I do. You could go to movie theater. Yeah, way back. Yes, I do. I do. So, no, my daughter would never go to a movie theater with me again because she she's mortified when I do that. Clearly, shouldn't be there screaming. <laughs> She's 17. She's mortified that she has a mother, let alone. (laughs) That that is true too. Yes. (laughs) You live in Vermont in a small town. So if you're the woman screaming in the movie theater, everybody does know who you are. That's true. That's true. (laughs) But you say if if you write what scares you, if nothing scares you, you can't write horror. So and I have so many fears. I actually, so I keep a list of fears. I have a like document (gasps) on my computer and I recommend when I I do writing workshops, especially writing workshops with like kids and high schoolers and stuff. I'm like, we all have to start our own list of fears. And I have them make little books of fears, like illustrated books of fears out of, you know, you take a stack of index cards and fold them in half and then you draw a picture for each fear and put one fear on each page. And, and I think that we need to, you know, acknowledge our fears and name them and get them out there, drag them out into the light and see what So happens. what is your weirdest fear? Can you talk about it? <laughs> My weirdest fear? No, I can tell... So can, I have it doesn't a lot have to of be fears. Your no, this is well. I do have some weird ones. Um, is it meatballs? Probably, because that's kind of weird. It's it's not meatballs. I don't think they're weird. I'm really really afraid of balloons and inflatable things. <laughs> <laughs> so no, wacky so balloons is terrifying. So, you, isn't so it? like not just balloons, but like if you get like one of those vinyl like pool toys, forget yes. it. And this, I think, not, it's the thing, I think it's the thing of like having it be small and then watching it get bigger. <laughs> Oh no, it freaks me out and balloons scare the crap out of me. Okay, balloons, I'm scared of. I'm scared yeah, of balloons. I don't know. Okay, but guys, the ones that have helium and they travel around your house, tell me they're not trying to murder you in your sleep because they're trying to murder me in my sleep. That's not irrational. What if it just deflates on your face while you're sleeping and then you suffocate? It could happen. It could happen. Well, I'm not sleeping tonight. Yeah. Every dog I've ever had 
barks when it sees a balloon. Yeah. And I feel oh, like, no. like, yeah. like yeah. Do- animals know if an animal is like, what the F is that? Yeah. 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 Is it filled no. with air, helium, or ghosts? Yeah. So one <laughs> night my daughter had a sleepover with a bunch of friends and I was asleep and they stayed up late doing oh, teenage no. girl things. And I'm sound asleep in my bed. My partner Dre is in nine hours. So she was downstairs watching movie. I wake up no. at like one o'clock in the morning and I am covered with balloons. Oh my God. <laughs> and I like screamed and screamed. <laughs> and the girls were tackling. Yeah. They just oh thought it was the most, they thought it was hysterical. Yeah. No. It is a pretty good it is a pretty good prank. Okay. Yeah, it was a, it was no. a good prank. But yeah, no, you could have died. I have a strong heart, thankfully. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, yeah. or they would have a lot of guilt. <laughs> yeah. Cause of death, heart attack induced by balloons. <laughs> Put that on the corner report. Yeah, Not cool. yeah. Then, then you'd have to haunt her and be like, "You killed me with balloons." Yeah, you would back back holding bunches of balloons. balloons. Yeah, you back in the form of balloon. <gasps> a balloon. Yeah. Oh balloon. god, I'm getting like weird. Like, I want to like itch the back of my neck. This is like, <laughs> it's a weird, <laughs> creepy thing. Uh, um, I've never been scared of balloons, but now I'm. Kind now of you scared. are. <laughs> well, my mom is scared of balloons, but not. Because she's always scared they'll pop, even if they're yeah. just like in the room. She says, like, "What if that pops right now?" Yeah, and yeah. so does was, she not like the sudden noise? She doesn't like the sudden noise. So when I was little, I'd have a balloon and be like, "What if I squeeze it?" And she would just start like screaming and screaming. But that makes me a demon, and her yeah. just having a rational fear. Uh, Jen, so does having red hair. I know. It doesn't look that red in this light. But. No. No, but I had a friend who was really scared of the sudden noises. So we knew that if we were out with him, anything could happen behind us. And if he freaked out, it would it could be as simple as like a barista's dropping a mug. He would flip. So sometimes it's just that sudden noise that you're not expecting. Yeah. Yeah. And balloons, they're unpredictable. You can't trust them. No, you can't trust them. I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. Now I'm just thinking about like a, a meatball balloon. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Now I know I'm just wanting to eat meatballs. <laughs> I have have an irrational fear of uncooked meat. Like I can't even like in the grocery store because you could die from that. Right. Um, And I'm also a vegetarian, but I'll have words with you later about a scene that I read on your behalf with the uncooked meat that. Yeah. It's when you read on my. Yeah, no. As in I, I read like, as I'm a already like, I don't want to hear it. You wrote it. What do you mean you don't want to hear it? You're the one who wrote it. And yeah, it's the uncooked meat and it is unpleasant. I know. I've been trying to conquer my fears through okay, writing. Good, good. By See? doing things this like, what if I yeah. talk about this person's face being rotted off and compare it to pizza? Yes. Okay. That's pizza nice. Day. Pizza day. Oh, moving on. <laughs> Sorry. My <laughs> irrational fear of weird hot lunches at school meets horror. <laughs> No, it's great when you can combine two irrational fears. <laughs> I know. And who's to it's call them irrational? Like, you know, irrational fears can be perfectly rational when you. Yes. We can rationalize them, right? I mean, you've there's, rationalized there's balloons, <laughs> and you've rationalized like even swimming pool like uh, tubes because I have never thought of it as something that's very small that just gets bigger and bigger. Yeah, that right. is horrifying. I like it. I don't know. And I don't know where that fear came from, but I've had. Are you picturing yourself like in an enclosed space and it gets bigger and bigger until you're trapped? behind it and you can't breathe because it's inflating and taking all the air 
Um, I mean, uh, no, no, I wasn't. Sorry, not. The other three of you are all horror people. I am not. I only read horror when someone makes me. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's something that I, I just maybe have built up inside, but I was going to say about combining, I, you mentioned in the drowning kind, how you're combining these storylines from past and present. Yeah. And you did the same thing in the invited with a past storyline where we're getting Hattie and then the common, the, the current era with Helen and Olive. Yeah. And I love how you did that. Is that something that's a common theme in a lot of your books where you will combine different timelines or is that something kind of newer for you? Yeah, I've been doing it for a long time. I did it in my very first book, Promise Not to I Tell. I, I was like, Promise Not it, to Tell. I don't think <laughs> I've done it in every book. I haven't done it in every book, but I think most of the books do. It just, it works for me. It's one of the things that I'm really fascinated by is how the past affects and influences the present. And yeah, and in some books, I have characters both in the past as little kids and then also in the present. So I really like that. I also love playing with, you know, we we're talking about setting and I love using like setting as character and mm -hmm. thinking about the, and that's the consistency and yeah. having the consistency, but also looking at how it's changed. You know, mm -hmm. like in The Drowning Kind, we've got the story, you know, we see the town and the pool and the whole area back in 1929 in the early 30s, and then we see it now. And some things have changed completely, but some things are the same. You know, the pool is still there. It's changed a bit because they've, you know, they've turned it into a bigger swimming pool. They've excavated it. But the Lord's Hill and Devil's Hill are still there. The town itself is still there. There's still the general store that everyone goes to. There's still the church in the center of town. Um, so, yeah, I, I just love playing with that. And I have this belief that, like, places hold memories, you know, and places, places hold the echoes of everything that came before. And I'm uh, working that into my fiction. <laughs> well, and one of the lines you said, and I think I even texted it to Jen so I wouldn't forget it. You said something about the character Helen in The Invited. She doesn't believe in ghosts, but she believes in history. That the idea that it's like, oh, okay. So even if you deny supernatural things happening, that there's so much built into any place, any relationships of a family lineage, that history carries forward, whether there's a ghost involved or not, that those things, they grab onto you even now. So I don't know if that's something where you have to think about it beforehand or if you pants your way through that history too. I just, I go, I pants my way through it and I go back and I fix it. You know, I, I yep. come out with a really messy rough draft that might not make a whole lot of sense. And I know I can go back and fix it. Um, and then I can add in all the history and I can, you know, in the invited, I wasn't sure. I started off with like, I had a lot more haunted objects in the invited. I kept throwing them <laughs> in. And I was like, oh, let's bring in this and let's bring in that. And there was a bathtub and I loved the bathtub and I, the bathtub got cut in the, you in killed the your darling job. bathtub. I know I killed my bathtub, but my editor was I feel like, like a haunted really bathtub is everything I like because it could be, lead to a drowned <laughs> girl. Oh, it, it could see. And it lead to yeah. a drowned girl. It's like an architectural thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, there was a, yeah, there was a bathtub, but it went away. Um, yeah, but I, as I was writing these things, you know, I didn't know their story. I didn't know why she was gathering them and bringing them into the house and kind of like, I didn't know what was going on with the pool. Like I'm writing the drowning kind. I'm like, what is going on with the pool is, and there is, you know, at one point in the drowning kind, um, Lexi says to Jackie, she says, there's nothing in the water. The only thing in that water is what we bring down with us. Yes. Right. Mm. And so there's that, like, and is that it? Is it just people bringing in their own ideas and their own fears and their own memories and their own, you know, like, do they think that the pool is haunted by their dead aunt Rita because they're surrounded by her things and her old books and her old toys. And she's just a fixture in their lives because she's the girl no one really talks about, but everyone knows she's missing. Everyone feels her absence. 
Um, so are they carrying that into the water and kind of bringing her forth from their imaginations because of that, you know? And well, it's like I the just, idea yeah. of being drowned by your own baggage. Like, That's exactly. exactly what I yes. And I, I don't know. know. I'm we, also just thinking that the title feel like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, you guys have, have heard the, the, there was a play stones in his pockets. The idea of the person who walks into the pa- the, the pond or the Virginia the Wolf. It, yes. Well, it's full of full of stones, and if you bring all that with you, that's the reason you drown. And it may not be literal; it could be metaphorical. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I um, gosh, I love it. Um, so, our show is called Vox Vomitus, which is like our fake Latin for word vomit. <laughs> and I like that you, uh, you know, we're slowly running out of time, but uh, I like that you said your first draft is bad and it doesn't make oh, sense yeah. so that's it's the word vomit it's the vomit draft is what yeah. we, oh, yeah. we lovingly call it um so do you do that do you just vomit the words out and then deal with it later or do you find yourself going let me just rewrite the sentence oh no no if I get caught up in the rewriting of the sentence then I'm then I just get stuck no I have to get everything out I'm a vomiter but I have to get it all out um because you know I don't know where it's going. And, I, and I'm just, I'm caught up in it and I'm excited. Usually, you know, there are days when I've hit the wall and I'm like, I don't know what the hell is going on with this pool. And I'm just going around and around in circles and I'm frustrated and I don't know what's happening, but I've got to get that first draft out. And once I get the first draft out, it's always messy. It's always like embarrassingly messy. Like if anyone saw it, they would think, forget it. She has lost all talent. She's it's over. She can never write a book again. Um, and then what I do, so this is what I've done since the very beginning. My first book, um, is I get my first draft and I print it. So I've got a hard copy and then I lay it chapter by chapter on the floor of my house. So I like a serial killer. Yes. (laughs) And no one's ever said that before, but yes, kind of, I guess. You're welcome. Um, Thank (laughs) you. Um, so yeah, so it takes up my entire like living room and dining room. I move all the furniture and I've got it laid out. My family loves it when I do this, especially my daughter. She's like, oh, your God. daughter and friends. Yeah. She's like, oh. they, they, yeah. She's like, no, we can't go into the living room and dining room. Half the house is closed off because mom's got her book out on the floor. This again. is why they filled your room with balloons. Yes. I will just say yes. there was probably yeah. a direct correlation. Right. One per chapter. Yes, one per chapter. So yeah, I've got it all laid out on the floor and only then do I start to really get what the heck this thing is about. You know, it's like, I've got a bird's eye view of it and I like walk around it like a crazy person. I'm walking and I'm looking and then slowly I start moving things and I start taking things out. And I'm like, oh, well this, this doesn't belong at all. And this needs to get moved up to the, this is where the story really begins is this scene. So let's move to this, to the, to the front and let's do this. And as I'm writing and mo- as I'm moving things around, I'm also like taking, I've got a stack of blank paper next to me. So I'm writing out scenes that I know I need to add. I'm pulling things out. I'm writing things on chapters. I'm color coding <laughs> the chapters, saying like, this is from Ethel's point of view. And this is to make sure like, I don't want three Ethel point of view chapters back to back. I want to intersperse them. So I want to make sure there's balance. So this, this process usually takes a few days, the like going around. And in the old days, I used to be able to leave my book on the floor, but we've got cats and the kids coming in and out. And now we have a dog. We adopted a pandemic doggy. And you I adopted a pandemic I dog? I did. Yeah, I know. We'll get to that. <laughs> so the comment, 
the comment popped up. Lindsay said it's a book puzzle. So you literally it do is. have a book puzzle. And you're it is. You know, it feels it feels like a collage. Is yeah. Like. Oh. yeah, absolutely. Well, you, say you don't outline, but it's almost like at that point they are an outline. I outline they're almost the chunks, and you can re. Yeah. So then I do outline. Then I seriously outline because yeah. then like a whole new like organized Jennifer comes in. And so I've got it laid out on the floor. Oh, I've never heard around. those words organized Jennifer in a row. That was weird. I was like, I am not. Uh, that's no, referring to Ms. McMahon. Yeah. Ms. So then I've got it laid out. And I've, once I've got it the way I want it, and I've got everything laid out, then I get out my index cards. Oh, index oh. cards. And I make one index card per every chapter. And I like write a couple sentences about what's happening. And I color code them by point of view. Wait, so they're color coded index cards? They're color-coded index cards. Okay, yeah. My agent had posted yeah. to me recently with like, who else uses color-coded index cards? And we're like, nerd. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do that. So I'm making up for like the chaos and the like no plan rough draft by being ultra organized now. So I've got, yeah. and then by the end of it, I've got my in my stack of index cards and that kind of serves as my outline. When I yes, sit down to revise, I'm like, okay, so this is, you know, my book is now going to open here. Mm -hmm. I know it's going to open with the two sisters in the pool, which I originally had much later in the story, but I'm going to open it with this and I'm going to go from here to here. And yeah, it's, I love that you changed, yeah. sorry, Alice. Sorry. I, I love that you changed the order of things. I think even Definitely. though I'm a cancer, I have this, um, like an OCD about writing in order. So when I get to a point oh. where I'm like blocked, Instead of just going, I'm going to skip to the next chapter where I do know what's going to happen. I just sit there staring at a blank oh, page, do. panicking. And I feel like your your way is probably better. Oh, you should but give yourself I, permission to try to jump to where I you will know give what's myself going to permission. And, and I do that, right? Yeah, yeah and, yeah. and I'll, I'll scoot ahead a little bit if I know where I'm going. But So I can only scoot ahead a little bit. Like I can see yeah. just past, like, okay, I know I want a little bit more here and I'll scoot past it. But what I was going to ask was about saying that the beginning changed. Does that happen for you a lot where you change starting points? Um, my The beginning in my published book is never, ever, ever the beginning I start with when I sit down to write. I don't think that really. I don't think that's happened once. Whoa. I always, I, I look, so when I'm doing my like out on the floor bird's eye view thing, I'm looking for what I feel like is one of the strongest. I'm looking for the strongest point in the book. And I know yeah. that I want to open with something strong. And often I pull, you know, something from the end or I'll have to create something new. Cause you know, I want to open with something strong. I want to open with something that, that tells people what they're in for and kind of gives the theme and the overall question. And, you know, like in the drowning kind I wanted to introduce people to the pool and like, what's up with the pool? Yeah. What's going on with it? And I wanted to introduce people to the sisters. And in my very first version, when I sat down to start writing this book, I started, you know, I said, I started with the pool and I started my very first beginning chapter was from the pool's point of view. Oh it, no. It didn't oh, work. Right. It didn't work. It just, yeah, yeah no, it didn't work. Um, we just, all do those yeah, things. We all like, do those things. But I needed to. I needed to do that. That was how I wrote my way into the story. Right? We all have right. ways to get into yeah. it. And and so but what I was, I was looking at it on the floor, and I was like, it doesn't doesn't belong. So off that went away. Gone. <laughs> Be gone with you. And, but it was like an exercise, a brainstorm to get you going to that, and it freed you Absolutely. up to write the rest of it. Absolutely. I love that you don't that you don't start with where you think you're going to start. But I love that you're trying to figure out what's going to draw the reader in because I think sometimes. Mm -hmm. 
we get really in our head of, but the story has to begin here because otherwise, and we have all these, these reasons, but if it's not the strongest place for the story to start, people might not get to the rest of it because they're like bored now and they throw the book. Absolutely. And sometimes the best place to start is at the end. Like look at your end. Maybe you want to start at your end and work backwards. Who knows? I love the whole idea of like catching a moving train. I went to school for theater and they always said, if you like approach any scene, like you've already done five scenes before it. Mm-hmm. And even if it's the beginning of a play, a beginning of anything, just start yes. it from the middle emotionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And no, I, so great. like, I, I try that. to think of that. Like when I write, I'm like, just wherever I am, just start it from like, you're already in the middle of the muck. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, the idea of en medio rest, we get that a lot of going to have this, the action already ongoing. And I think that it goes against certain genre styles. Cause a lot of times you'll get certain places where you're like, but I have to have this backstory because it's epic fantasy or science fiction. Yes. And if you don't understand my 17 worlds, politics and religions, you'll never, but that's not where anybody can get into it. And no. I recently said, got something and I don't know how much applies to horror, but maybe some of the history aspects it does. You guys heard of the five finger rule and it's not the five finger mm-hmm. discount. Yeah, the five finger rule is they do it for generally for kids when they're reading a book, if it's not their Lexile level is read. And every time you get to a word, you don't know, you put up a finger. And if you get to five before you turn the page, this book is too hard for you. And they're suggesting science fiction and fantasy writers do the same thing that every time you're introducing a new religion, character name, planet, anything, do that because that is good. That is good. They're going to get turned off. Yeah. So if you don't start in that way, if you start in with something that's accessible and that's relatable and that's engaging, you can get that other stuff later. You can still get all that stuff, just not yeah. throw them into the deep end and have them all figure right. it out. Yeah, we don't need to be dump on no, page that, one. No. Yeah, no. And we also don't, like with me, because I'm writing about kind of creepy otherworldly stuff, I don't want to bombard people with that. I want to set mm-hmm. them, like give them something real yeah. world and tangible to hold on to. And I think, you know, yeah, that's something the thing to ground I, them and make them believe that, you know, give people the real world and a character they believe in, and then sort of start yes. taking this peeling exactly. back the layers and showing you them build to it. On, right? Yeah. If you, you start, know. yeah, if you start with a monster, yeah, there's always going to be, you know, more than half of your audience is going to say, well, I don't believe in that monster. Yeah, exactly. But that's not that scary. But if that's you not start- that scary. But if you start with a woman who refuses to believe in monsters and who would never believe in monsters and show her making coffee and going through her life and then yes. suddenly something happens and she's like comes face to face with a monster, then people will then people can. Holy crap, maybe monsters do exist. Right. I make coffee every day. Yeah. Yeah. What Same. if there was a monster? What if Jennifer, um, you made me believe in porcupines? Awesome. <laughs> At first, I thought you were talking to me, and I was like, oh, never. Oh, never mind. There's another Jennifer. That's Jennifer pointing the right way now. Um, I have one question before we have to sadly sign off. Do you okay. keep all of your index cards? I do. I, I have, love I have like file boxes full of index cards. Yeah. I, I mean, we I need you to come. No, I, I mean, keep, it would be good if you I did. keep the ones, the like outlining ones. I also use them for many other things. Like I use them for brainstorming. I was just trying to come up with a title idea. So I use them for title brainstorming. I use them for when I'm just getting, if I'm stuck in a story and I have no idea what's going to happen next, then I'll get out the index cards and start playing around and I'll write down the scenes that I know are going to happen. Like magnetic poetry. 
Yeah. Moving yeah. around the fridge. See, it's like that. Around the fridge. Yeah, it's like that. I'm picturing them stuck together with a brad and then you fan yourself with it. No? No, but I do Ooh, like That's that. nice. No, that's a good gift shop of your museum that you can have them. Yeah, no, I've got them like rubber banded together. And actually I bought like, I've got a couple index card holding boxes that I've got index cards in. And then I've got them cluttering up here, there. I've got index cards. I mean, I've got index cards everywhere. They're here. They're, <laughs> I'm like, I'm surrounded by index cards. I always have index cards within reach wherever I am. Every room in the house. It's ridiculous. Emergency and index cards. Emergency in my bag, in my coat pocket. I know this is exactly. <laughs> I was going to say, though, it just makes it sound a lot more just organized than the ones who write on like the cocktail napkins. Like, that. no, no cocktail oh, it's index cards. Say that. Yeah. I know you're talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> you could just say, other Jennifer, don't other write Jennifer. napkins. Whatever is available to you. The important thing is to write yes. it down so you don't forget it. Yes. Right? If you have an idea, oh, just write, yeah. it, write it on your arm. Write it on your mm -hmm. arm. Whatever it takes. Mm -hmm. so, Kids can. I feel like yeah. I would love to have you back sometime, even before you have another book out, just because yes. I do want to go through like a weird index box with you. I want yeah. you to like bring out a box of index cards and we can just. <laughs> okay. okay, we can. Almost do like that. a drinking game. And just that like really fun. Any yeah. Yeah. Write well, this what, down, somebody. On a napkin. What are you gonna bring? Got you, bring next, I want you, you bring napkins. Everyone bring needs to bring something. Everyone needs to bring something sure. fun to something share. Something weird. Something weird fun and weird and quirky. Yeah. yeah. Can I bring a balloon? You can bring a balloon. Oh. <laughs> I could share my word document of strange fears that I also keep on yes. my desktop. Yes. Excellent. All right. All right. It's a plan. I love it. We'll pencil that in. Um, Jennifer, thank you. Thank you. Oh my gosh, you guys, this has been so much fun. Oh thank gosh. you. I would keep going. I have to be on a class in like 15 minutes, so or else I would just be like, let's just stay. Let's just stay. Well, let's we will stay. do it another time. We will do we it another will. time because this was so much fun. Oh, thank you. Vox Womanist Vixens, I love you. Thank you for being part of this crazy world that we are in. Next week, we do not have a show. We are on spring break. Whoa. By spring break, I mean we just are sitting in our houses. Oh, but Lindsay, but it's spring. Lindsay Stonerock Stone says you had me believing in fairies. Yay. Yay. Don't be the word. Yes, fairies so, and creepy fairies. Um, everyone, we're off next week, but we'll probably promote a replay of our episode that we had Matt Ruff, author of Lovecraft Country, on. Just because I feel like that always needs a replay. We love our Matt Ruff, uh, so. Stay tuned for that. And then the week after that, we have Deborah K. Shepard. And we will see you all then. I just want to thank Roman Seraton, our producer, Pam Stack, our executive producer. This has been a copywritten podcast by the Global Authors on the Air Network. And we will see you all in spirit next week and in real life in two weeks. Thank you so much. Thank Waving. You. Bye. Bye.